Welcome to the Dance of Mayanam, where we're seeking the mysteries that are locked up in God's Word and hidden in His heart to be revealed by those who seek and who find, who knock and it is opened to them. What is it that happens to us after our life on this earth ends and our bodies die and decay in the ground, but where do we, the spirit and the soul, go and what happens to them after we die? What does the scriptures reveal about the afterlife and what happens in the world that is beyond? In the book of Job, a righteous man whose name is Job is persecuted by the devil for the sole purpose that he might give glory to the God of heaven. When the devil comes and strips everything he has, and yet Job, in his righteousness and in the purity of his heart, chooses to continue to serve God and not to curse God with his mouth. And God sees it and God receives that, and when he does... It gives him great joy in heaven. So God gave the devil permission to do that to Job in order to show and to demonstrate to all those watching, which are the angels in heaven and the demons of hell, that Job truly is a man who shuns evil and runs to the light. The creator of the universe takes great joy in our victory on this earth. And that's not just with Job, but it's written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have this hope because God rejoices in our victories toward him in the same way that he rejoices toward Job. And Job had all the great riches and wealth that he had stripped from him, including his health. And he sat in his pain and cried out for why this was happening to him. And he and his three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, get into a poetic theological discussion about the reason things happen in the ways of God in heaven. And though they greatly disagree with each other on the nature of the things that are happening in the Spirit, they both speak truthfully according to the ways of the Spirit and how they work. Now, Job's three friends spoke wrong to Job because they used it in the wrong way. But nevertheless, many aspects of this eternal afterlife are illuminated through the Holy Spirit through this discussion from Job and his three friends. And in the last episode, we looked specifically at Job chapter 3 and what the Spirit was saying in that prose of complaint that Job was calling out to God. But Job goes on in chapter 14, and he says, Oh, that you, God, would hide me in the grave, and that you would conceal me until your wrath is past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. Remember, Job perceives the judgment of God upon him, which is why his suffering is because of the judgment. He's saying, wait, conceal me in the grave, or hide me in the grave until your wrath is past, so I don't have to suffer these things, and then appoint me a time where I can stand before you and we can judge if I'm really wicked or not. If a man dies, he says, shall he live again? Which is rhetorically no. All the days of my hard service I will wait till my change comes. You shall call and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands. What did Job just say? And what did the Holy Spirit say in this? Remember, 
This is coming out of the abundance of his complaint toward God and before his three friends. But watch what he says. He says, Oh, that you, God, would hide me in the grave, which means end my life on the earth, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past. In other words, in this realm of the dead, as we talked last time, this place in Sheol known as Abraham's bosom, where the spirits of the ancient dead go, once he goes there, no more punishment that comes upon this earth for the sins of the earth are apportioned to them, but they are exempt. They are free from it. And Job is wishing for that. He's not wishing to die as if to escape the presence of God. No, he's wishing to die as if to get out from under the judgment of sin, which is coming on him for his iniquity and for his sins. If a man dies, shall he live again? And the answer is no. Hebrews chapter 9 says it's appointed for man once to die and after that the judgment. In other words, this life that we're living right now will be the measure that God holds when he judges you before him. What did you do with this life? And what did you do with these talents that were given you? Did you bury them in the ground or did you put them in the bank? Meaning invest them in the world for the glory of God. What did you do with the gospel of his son? Did you receive it or did you reject it? And all of these things that God holds, there will be a judgment, a righteous judgment according to how you have handled them and according to how you live. But that all counts as long as we're alive on this earth. In other words, once we die, there's nothing more we can do that's going to count in the judgment. You can't receive salvation by Jesus Christ once you've been condemned to hell. It's over. And when you're resurrected and when you stand before God, you'll receive the judgment, the just judgment, the perfect judgment according to how you've lived your life and according to the things that you've done before God. You can't come back and make them right. You can't come back and forgive. You can't come back and receive forgiveness. It's done and that's the judgment. And that's why God is so passionate about us and the things we do on this earth now that we should live for him and not serve idols and not do wickedness and not sin before him because not only does it hurt God, it actually hurts us. If a man dies, shall he live again? In other words, God, Job is saying, God, don't you know that the righteousness that I'm choosing to do on this earth is your joy and delight. But if you take me off this earth and if you take everything away from me so I can't praise you, you don't get anything and I don't get anything. So this is Job's argument. This is what he's saying to God. God, how does this make sense? I was serving you, you were getting joy out of it, and I was living joyfully on this earth. Then you sent the devil to attack me and now you're not getting anything because I can't praise you in this situation. And I'm not getting anything because I'm suffering. So explain to me how this is beneficial for any of us when it all comes from your hand. That's his plight, his argument. So he continues, All the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. Wait a minute. Job, remember, this isn't New Testament. This is Old Testament, perhaps one of the oldest books of the Bible. Yet Job understands that he's going to be resurrected from the dead one day, 
and he will be as God is and stand before God and present his life before him. Let me read that again. And what I'm reading from is Job 14, verse 14. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait, comma, till my change comes. And he's referring to the translation of his body from the mortality of man to the immortality of the spirit. In other words, this is the eschatological resurrection that the Bible talks about. But Job understands that long before Jesus ever came because he has this knowledge and this relationship with God. He has this deep understanding and it's this resurrection, this hope, that purifies his soul, just as the New Testament says, anyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he, Jesus, is pure. And Job was doing that in the Old Testament. Again, this deep understanding of who God is. He says, you shall call, God you shall call to me, and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of of your hands. Again, Job and the life that Job lived was given and accomplished by the hand of God that Job allowed to work for him in his life. But when his change comes and he stands before God, watch what he says. When you call, I will answer you. In other words, I'll be there and you answer. Again, this goes back to his original argument. Ultimately, deep down, he's arguing this. God, the reason you put me here in the first place was to get joy out of my life of faith. And I was enjoying my life of faith because of everything you gave me. Then you took it all away, and now you're not getting what you want, and I'm not getting what you want, so what's the point? But what he's saying is, once I'm resurrected and see you, then you'll come and desire this work that you've done, and you'll find it, which is me. I am the work that you've done. You'll come and you'll find it. You'll call to me to receive this work that you've done, and I will answer you right there. So Job is hoping in the resurrection. He's looking forward to the resurrection. He believes that he will be resurrected in that day with the Almighty God. Again, this could be 2,000 years before Jesus even came, yet Job understands this. And Job and the righteous people who lived before Jesus came and went down into the underworld, into Abraham's bosom, and awaited for Jesus to come in the Spirit, because it's only through the blood of Jesus that access to heaven is granted, because it's only through the blood of Jesus that can cleanse away sins. The souls, like Job's soul, was waiting for that day, and the New Testament, the Scripture says, that they, the evil people, this is Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4, they, the evil people of this earth, will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Let me read that again. Again, this is New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 4. They, the evil people of this world, will give an account to him, God, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, 
what did Peter just say? The gospel was, past tense, preached to the dead. That's what he said. In other words, when did that happen? Well, Jesus went three days and three nights into the heart of the earth, like he said, just like Jonah did. And when he came up, he went up through this realm, this prison, under the earth in Sheol, and preached to the righteous souls who were awaiting his coming. And obviously, immediately believing in him, they were raised with Jesus from the dead when he came up. And the New Testament, specifically in Matthew chapter 27, it says that at the time Jesus was raised, there were multitudes of righteous people that came out of their graves, at least for a period of time, and they were seen by the people that were still alive. Notice this. The gospel was preached to those who are dead that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Again, it's the same judgment that we have. The people before Jesus and the people after Jesus are judged with the same judgment, and that judgment is Christ. Job was expecting and believing in and hoping for and looking forward to the resurrection of the dead with God when God came and died for him on the cross. He was looking for that. He might not have known the details or understood the details like we do now, because we have the Gospels in the New Testament, but he was looking for the same thing. And that faith, the righteousness that comes through that faith, was in Job, just like it is in the New Testament believer who believes in Jesus. And so they're judged according to men in the flesh. In other words, the things that you've done in the flesh will be judged according to what you've done, just like we do, but live according to God in the Spirit. Meaning, just like we live in the Spirit, being covered with his blood and made righteous to God, they too, the Old Testament righteous, the Old Testament saints, are covered in the blood of Jesus through belief in his name and are saved in the same way. So these righteous like David and Job and Samuel and all this multitude of people that lived righteously and believed in God before Jesus came, they heard the gospel, they received it, and they were saved in the same way that we are now. And Job is expressing this. Job is expressing this righteousness back then. And that is a deep testimony. That is a deep exhortation for those who, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, have hope in it. This deep hope, this deep understanding of God is as is available, and yes, in a sense, more readily available now than it was even in Job's day. We can have it. We just need to seek. We need to ask. We need to knock, and it will be opened for us. So that was the situation of the righteous dead before Jesus came, which, of course, Abraham's bosom and paradise are not in the underworld anymore, but they're in heaven because Jesus has already raised from the dead. So we don't have to go through that because Jesus has already done it for us. But say that you weren't righteous. Say that you were wicked. Whether before or after Jesus came, where did you go? Remember, Abraham's bosom is the place of the righteous dead before Jesus came. But say that you weren't righteous. 
Bildad the Shuhite, one of these three friends of Job who's arguing with him about the theological reasons of his sufferings, illuminates in graphic detail what happens to the unrighteous dead once they depart from their body, when their soul leaves their body and goes into the afterlife. What do they experience, at least immediately? This comes from Job chapter 18, Bildad the Shuhite. He answered and said, How long will you hunt for words? Consider, and afterwards we will speak. Why are we counted as animals, he says, which have become unclean in your sight? You who tear yourself in anger, will the earth be forsaken for you, or will the rock be moved out of its place? In other words, why are you despising our wisdom, Job, and thinking it's wrong when we're speaking to you the words that are right? That's Bildad's argument to Job. But then he goes on in verse 5. Yes, the light of the wicked will be put out. The spark of his fire won't shine. And that's the life force, if you will, of a person on this earth. And as soon as it's gone, nobody sees it anymore. There's no light that's shining anymore. It's gone, and it's as if it never was. The light will be dark in his tent. The lamp above him will be put out. The steps of his strength will be shortened. His own counsel will cast him down. So again, the place of his dwelling, there will not be light. There is some light on this earth. This earth is not like heaven. It does not have the light of heaven, but it does have some of the light of heaven, so to speak. And it also has some of the darkness of hell, and we choose which to walk in. The little bit of light that this guy walked in, that is, this unrighteous guy when he walked on this earth, he had some of the light of God because he was still alive on this earth, but now he has nothing. His tent, which is his dwelling place, which used to be his body, now is surrounded in darkness. His lamp above him is put out. In other words, this little light that came from heaven, now he has nothing. He used to have something, now he has nothing. The steps of his strength will be shortened. His own counsel will cast him down. Again, he had some power to make good and to do good for himself on this earth. But now he has no power to do good. And even that power he wants to do to make himself comfortable and feel better, he has nothing. He can do nothing about his predicament of torment and sorrow because he's gone down to hell. For he is cast into a net Bildad says, by his own feet, and he wanders into his mesh. Again, the net and the words of his mouth are the things of iniquity he's spoken on this earth. In other words, God does not come down and just hate him and cast him to hell. That's not what happens. He's simply receiving the fruit of his own works. He's reaping what he sowed. He's being judged according to what he has done, and he is receiving upon his head according to what he has spoken with his mouth, which came from words of iniquity and not from God. In other words, he's just getting what he did and how he lived on this earth, which was evil. And in so much as he was evil, so he is getting evil repaid to him. That's what's being brought out here in Job 18. He says, a snare will take him by the heel, a trap will catch him. A noose is hidden for him in the ground, a trap for him on the path. Terrors will make him afraid on every side and will chase him at his heels. His strength will be famished, calamity will be ready at his side. 
The members of his body will be devoured. The firstborn of death will devour his members. So again, take in the spirit what's being pictured here. What is Bildad saying happens to the unrighteous soul when it leaves the body? It says there's traps. Think about like an animal trap, a spiritual animal trap laid all around him, which are justified in being there because of his own works and his own words that he's done on this earth. And when he starts to try to go somewhere, he immediately gets caught in his own works. And then these demons of hell come up and take this hopeless creature, which is this human soul, trapped in this net, which is his own works. And they come and these evil spirits start eating his body from him while he's alive. Of course, eating his spiritual body from him while he's alive. He said here that these demonic creatures come and they start eating up his arms and his legs while he feels every bit of its pain. And yet the demons are rejoicing in it and they're rejoicing in him screaming out for pain. And the more he does it, the more they continue to just eat him. But remember, it's, he's in the spirit, so it's not just a body and he's dead. He lives forever. He has an eternity of this suffering. In other words, his arms and legs are being eaten up, but they're never consumed. He just continues in this excruciating pain forever and ever, or as long as these demons continue. He will be rooted out of the security of his tent. He will be brought to the king of terrors. So again, as long as he was alive on this earth, the devil couldn't have full dominion over him because he didn't have permission fully to have dominion over him. But as soon as he dies, he's already made the decision. Again, it's appointed for man once to die and after that the judgment. So as soon as he died, the situation of his soul that it was in at the point that he died is his answer and the justified response to his life toward God. And in this case... It was, no, he doesn't want God. And so the demons are taking what is theirs. So the security of his tent, which means while he was alive, Satan couldn't take him, and he will be brought to the king of terrors. There will dwell in his tent that which is none of his. Sulfur will be scattered on his habitation. And again, sulfur is this putrid substance that burns, which exists in the spirit in hell as well. His roots will be dried up beneath, and his branch will be cut off above. In other words, to put it as we would say today, your ancestors will not know and will not care that you ever lived, and your descendants will have nothing to do with you anymore, is what is being pictured here. His roots will be dried up beneath, and his branches will be cut off above. His memory will perish from the earth, and he will have no name in the street. He will be driven from light into darkness and chased out of the world. So again, these demonic creatures are chasing him from any vestige of security from hell that he had while he lived, because he no longer lives. He will have neither son nor grandson among his people, nor any remaining. Those who come after him will be astonished at his day, and those who went before are frightened. In other words, anyone in the spirit who come and look spiritually at his life that he lived, they don't memorialize him or dream of the days of his life, but they are astonished and repulsed at his life, even his own offspring or his own children or those of his own family. Surely such are the dwellings of the unrighteous, Bildad says, and this is the place of him who doesn't know God. The spirit is very real. It's much more real than this world that you see before you right now. But the spirit, or to be spiritual, which is to live either in the things of heaven, 
and God in the ways of righteousness, or to live in darkness in the things of hell? Which one will you choose, and which one will you make yourself a part of? But as for me and my house, says Joshua, we will serve Yahweh. It's so important how we choose to live this life, because this is where our eternal reward or eternal consequence of those actions will be. And that's why the scripture is here, to exhort us to follow God and to shun evil. The life of Job, who ran to what is good, and he shunned that which is evil. And that is what God rejoiced and boasted to the devil about that his servant, who could choose darkness, chose not to, because he feared his God, the Lord in heaven. And truly, this is the salvation. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Jesus says, do not fear him who is able to kill the body, and after that has no more that he can do. But I will tell you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. And so we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of his testimony. And what is that that overcomes the world? Yes, even our faith, the scripture says. Faith in the Son of God who loves us and gave himself for us. Don't miss the next episodes of The Dance of Mayanaim. And be sure to check out the YouTube channel called Mayanaim and get the book on Amazon called The Sign of the Prophet Jonah by Nathan Zune.